Welcome to the Love, Sex and Freedom podcast. This is where you're going to discover how to bring awakening into the body and into everyday life through powerful tantric teachings. Get ready to release, open and step into your true power. Personal shadows in relationship and as you will probably know, shadows come up the most in relationships and this is because they bring up all of our childhood wounding and we become dependent on our partners so much so all of those little gremlins in there that are crying out for love they end up going hey can you love me to our partner and our shadows end up fighting with each other and our shadows end up causing all kinds of havoc because rather than being vulnerable in those and taking personal responsibility, we try to find healing for those shadows unconsciously through our relationships. There's a lot of information for this week. So make sure you read the chapter properly as per usual. I won't be covering everything in the chapter and it's a good idea to understand a lot of these concepts. You'll probably be like, Ah, okay. That's why I do this. That's why I do that. The first thing I really want to mention is that the biggest shadow in men is their unconscious feminine. And the biggest shadow in women is their unconscious masculine. And that's because as women, we're taught how to be women. And as men, we're taught how to be men, but we're not really taught much about our conscious sexual selves. Contrasexual just means opposite to your gender. So even though you're a man or a woman, you have masculine and feminine energies. And when your contrasexual self is very denied and you don't really look at that, it ends up becoming a big shadow. So for instance, I may get into a relationship with someone when I'm really in my feminine and he's really in his masculine and we get along great. But when my contrasexual self comes up, my masculine, and his contrasexual self comes up, his feminine, these energies are a lot more immature. And that's where majority of the conflict lies. This course doesn't have scope to go into that in detail, but relationship tantra does. So if you can really relate to this, if you can feel as women where your masculine dominates, controls, overly asserts, becomes impatient, really denies feminine flow and vulnerability, then this is really going to help you. Or men, if you find that your feminine goes into victim, you find it difficult to ask for what you need to communicate, to feel your emotional body, to feel aliveness through your body, then relationship tantra is really going to help you. And once we bring these shadows into light, then we're also not depending on our partner for that energy. As women, if we don't cultivate a healthy masculine then we become very dependent on our partner for that. And as men, if you don't develop your healthy feminine, you'll be very dependent on your partner for that, which means men, you're going to de depend on women for aliveness, for emotionality, for communication. And women, you're going to depend on men to provide for you and to provide safety and witness you without judgment and take action. So it's really, really useful stuff. So for now, what I want to just look at is what does unconscious feminine energy look like? And what does unconscious masculine energy look like? What are these shadows? And really the biggest shadow in the feminine is this space of needing more love. And what that shadow can be called is the love addict. It's like this part of the feminine that makes 
the masculine, her whole universe, and it can be in men or women, and you're just revolving around that sun, depending on it for your lifeline. And if it's taken away, oh, you feel like you're going to die. So there's this huge dependency on it. And you really come into this space of like, actually, nothing's ever enough. You have a very strong relationship to insecure attachment. So no matter how much your parent, your partner tells you that they love you, no matter how much they try to show you love, there's always a part of you that's doubting that. There's always a part of you seeking validation. And that fear of losing love is so strong that a lot of the time you end up pushing love away. The biggest shadow in the masculine is love avoidance, where actually there's a fear of being too loved almost. It's a fear of being controlled or having freedom taken away. So while the love addict is scared shitless that love will be taken away, the love avoider is really frightened that freedom will be taken away. So how this manifests is that the love avoider will shut down, the love avoider will withdraw, the love avoider will not be able to communicate what they need. So of course, these two become the perfect partnership, right? These wounds go codependent. The love avoiders, you know, getting all of this attention from the love addict and who wants more intimacy, which really is teaching them how to become more intimate, which because it's being taught to them through another and not through themselves, they become resentful. And then what the love addict needs is to become more independent, which they have to learn through the love avoiders, avoidant behavior and extreme independence. So whilst the love addict has extreme dependency on the partner, the love avoider has this extreme desire to be independent. So you you can imagine the havoc that this creates for the love addict to really come into new postures of more independence and less addiction. It's about finding more ease in your solitude, facing that fear of aloneness that we've talked about. It's about taking more self-responsibility, having a broader social network than your partner, finding things that you enjoy doing, uh, really establishing community and knowing that your partner doesn't have to meet all your needs, that you're okay. And then of course, you know, the love addiction It really needs to feel a strong center, a strong sense of self, which is established through all of these practices of turning our attention inward instead of outward. For the love avoider, it's kind of the opposite. Instead of moving towards yourself, you want to move towards the other. You want to start being able to hold postures of asking for what you need, of moving towards love, of trusting love, of seeing that you're safe. For a lot of love addicts in childhood, there's been extreme abandonment, which is why they're trying to heal that by receiving the presence that they never got as children. And, you know, that place that wasn't tuned into, they're like, tune into me, be with me, meet my needs so that the masculine in the other person is really being called to be a surrogate healthy father, one that doesn't abandon for the, for the love avoider, it's like, you know, this space of just let me be me. But we're want, that love avoider is wanting remothering. It's like, instead of controlling me, love me unconditionally. And there's this space where if the love addict and the love avoider are reparenting themselves and taking more responsibility for their lives, 
then wow, it's like there's two people who can come from a full cup and overflow into each other. And that's secure attachment. And secure attachment is really where we want to be. Where, you know, we're in our ears, we're in our joy, stuff comes up and it's confronting, but we're able to admit when maybe we weren't as considerate as we could have been. We're able to move through confrontation with a relative amount of ease where we're not deflecting the feedback that we're given, which I'm going to go into, where we can listen, where we're not explaining and complaining and going too much into our neediness and pulling. And we're also not going too much into our voider pushing away. There's no push or pull. It's this beautiful interaction where we're not overly independent. We're not overly dependent. We trust each other. We feel safe in the relationship and we support each other but we also really deeply support ourselves. So that that's the direction you want to go. And if you read the manual, there's lots more about all of that. So I mentioned deflection earlier. And really when we're in a securely attached relationship where we're fully owning our shadows and relating from a place of wholeness, we're not deflecting, but rather we're reflecting. So what that means is we're receiving the feedback that's given to us. And there's a few different ways we can do that. The first way is by actually listening, which I'm going to talk about. And the second way is by noticing when we're triggered, noticing when there's a charge, identifying what it is that's really charging us and taking that back to us and asking ourselves, where is that in me? Because the very best way to own your shadows is to notice Where am I having a strong charge about something? Where am I getting really irritated? It's your body's way of saying, (laughs) warning, you're getting very charged. You're getting very triggered. That means that this person is displaying or resonating with a trait that you repress. So this, this can happen in obvious ways and not so obvious ways. I... An obvious way is if someone is behaving very loudly and they're taking up all of the limelight and you, you go, okay, that's really triggering me. You take a deep breath and you ask yourself, where is this energy alive in me? And it's really clear to see that you like the limelight. And then once you bring that into your awareness, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Now I know why it's triggering me and you can come back into your ease But sometimes it's not so obvious. Something might be triggering you in another and you're like, but that energy isn't in me. And they're the ones you really want to work with. That's when it's exciting. It's like, oh, wow. So I've got someone who's really angry. I'm not angry, but I'm so triggered about their anger. And then you go, okay, I'm going to take a few moments Breathe into my body and go beyond the surface. You may not be angry in the same way they are, but if you do a body scan and you stalk that shadow and you go looking for that repressed anger, you may be surprised at what you find. So once you do find that, it's like, ah, okay, I've got anger that I'm not expressing. And it gives you a chance to express your anger, really feel it through your body and integrate that. A lot of the times we're not integrating these shadows because we have a lot of judgment around it. And that judgment comes from seeing that shadow doing damage or being told that it's not okay. Again, back to the first week, 
So what we want to do is not make any shadows bad, feel them through our bodies, ask for what they need if we need to, and go back to the feed the shadows process, or simply just allow it some expression. No energy is bad. You know, the thing that is not serving of you and not serving of your loved ones is when we're bringing that energy to someone in a way that's harming. So you can just allow anger to run through your body without getting angry at anyone. But most of the time we just see anger in that way of running towards someone, which is why there's so much shame around anger and so much repression around it. Anger does a lot of damage, right? It hurts people, it negates people, it pushes people away. Sometimes it even rapes people or physically abuses people, but it doesn't have to. Anger can be an energy that we just fully feel through the body. And when we do, we find our healthy boundaries or we discover a need that's underneath that anger that ought to be expressed. So really exploring energies that trigger us in others is a gateway into discovering where that's unconscious in us and also what that unconscious energy is needing. It also takes our projection off them and the focus off the other person and into a self-inquiry of where does this energy live inside of me? Sometimes something's triggering us about another and it's actually a quality that if we own it, it brings a whole nother side to us. So sometimes people may get triggered by how sensual and sexual I am. And I remember one girl coming up and sharing that with me and saying, you know, it's really triggering me. How do I work with this? It doesn't feel like a shadow because I see that your sensuality is beautiful. And I said, again, you know, shadows can be beautiful. Shadows can be golden. And we've got a whole week on that. What does it feel like in your body if you breathe in and allow some sensuality? And it took her a while to find, but when she did find it, she did have a lot of shame around it because her mum used sexuality and sensuality in a way that was very manipulative. So that for her was finding a lost piece of herself that now I know her and it's fully integrated. She's this beautiful, sensual, juicy woman. So this practice of really running the shadow through our body, finding it in us and integrating it definitely increases our power. We find the spaces in us that haven't fully allowed our anger, our grief, our sensuality, our sexuality, even our neediness. You know, people who are extremely independent get triggered by neediness. And then when they allow that to move through their body, they're like, wow, I actually do have needs. And it gives them some permission to express those needs the trick here is that sometimes a shadow will trigger you and it's being expressed unhealthily. It doesn't mean that you have to express it unhealthily. It means you can find your healthy way with it. Another trick to this is when I first discovered this, it meant that I was putting up with behavior that I shouldn't have been putting up with. I was always taking everything back to me and finding the shadows and then not being not thinking it was necessary to assert boundaries. So even if someone's being angry at you and it's very triggering and you find that within you and express it and find healthy ways to integrate your anger, that doesn't mean that you can't say, hey, that's not acceptable. Actually, the contrary. Once you own that in you, rather than it triggering you and you deflecting, which is what I'm going to go into in a moment, you can actually just from your power, you can simply just say no rather than that trigger running you 
and making you go into fight or flight and in very triggered spaces or even freeze. We're going to talk more about boundaries, but just really feeling this space right now of, wow, what would it be like if when someone triggered me, instead of just going into a stress response and going into flight, fight or freeze, I breathed into my body and said, where is that energy in me? So just take a moment now. <sighs> Breathe into the body and ask yourself, what really triggers me in others? What would it be like to allow more of that through my own being? And opening the eyes. So the final thing I want to go through with you is this deflection versus reflection. Most of us, instead of reflecting on what people say to us, like if someone says to us, hey, you know, you're, you're being really lazy and you were late, you've totally impacted everyone around you right now and it's not okay. Rather than going into explanation or complaining, which would look like, well, I've had so many things to do today and I tried my best to get here, but you know, I'm feeling sick and this is happening and that's happening. And then you go into excuses. I, I, I you know, I just couldn't get here or, well, you're not always on time. And then you attack them and you shame them. So most people, when they receive feedback, they're on the defense, they attack they complain or they explain. When we reflect, it's a very different energy. We're breathing, we're listening, and we're considering. It doesn't mean that everything everyone says is going to be absolutely right. It doesn't mean you have to put up with criticism. That's different to a reflection. But what it means is we follow the peppercorn principle. And the peppercorn principle is that there's always some truth in what people say. So we reflect on that. We listen. We're like, hmm, I can see how that would have been really hard for you. I'm sorry I was late. I'm going to make more of an effort next time. Well, yeah, I can see sometimes where I'm really lazy. I'm going to pick up my game. Yeah. And sometimes reflection takes a little bit more. It's really hard to hear something. And we're listening and we need to like feel the shame that's coming up and be willing to feel that shame. So many people have such a strong failure wound or a need to be validated and constantly told that they're okay, that they actually can't just sit with what people say to them and grow from that. It's such an amazing way to grow is by actually listening to the reflections that you hear from your loved ones. So in this, you know, the reason I did collective shadows before this piece, you really need to own and feel and move beyond the victim and the wounded child and the saboteur and the need to be right. It's like, it's all about just sitting with it and, and listening and going, yeah, you know, I can see that. And maybe you need to breathe and move and sound through that shame. And sometimes shame is healthy. Sometimes we feel that and it's like, wow, you know, that, that was really lacking in awareness or, that, that really didn't have any compassion or I wasn't really attuned in that moment, whatever it is. So reflecting rather than deflecting will change your life. Taking the focus off another person when you're triggered and asking where does that energy live in me will change your life and really allowing some express and release through your body around what's triggering you, around your shame will change your life. 
Thanks for listening to the Love, Sex and Freedom podcast. For more great free resources, in-person and online workshops and our retreats, find us on Instagram and Facebook at Embodied Awakening Academy or visit embodiedawakeningacademy.com. See you next time.